0: Welcome to Agam the Climate Podcast, a literary podcast about climate, consciousness, and crisis but without jargon. We live in a time of uncertainty. Our future is still being written, which means there's still hope. Here we host conversations with writers and artists whose stories we need to guide the way. I'm Padma Perez with Joseph Santos Lyons. Thank you for joining us. For the book Agam, Filipino Narratives on Uncertainty and Climate Change, contributors were sent a photograph to use as a writing prompt. They were asked to consider the words uncertainty and ambiguity while avoiding words and phrases such as climate change, global warming, adaptation, and mitigation. This process produced 24 poems and narratives in eight Philippine languages paired with 26 images. In Season 1, we bring you the voices behind the stories and poetry in the book. Here is Susan Lara reading an excerpt from her short story, Enough. He grew up
1: assuming that was the only way to live. So he became a fisherman himself and was hard at work, at sea, while most of the country slept. He knew what it was like to be buffeted by the biting wind, whipped by hard, driving rain that defied gravity and blew horizontally, both forces knocking down trees and inundating low-lying areas. Work was demanding, but it gave them enough to get by. He embraced the difficult life of fisherfolk and tried not to see the connection between his recurring headaches and his habit of grinding his teeth at night and gritting them when overcast skies announced the onset of bone-chilling rain. The perennial sense of imminent danger made him deeply respectful toward the unknown. Dutifully, he continued to invoke Maguayan's protection because it made him feel he had a modicum of control over the vast and mysterious sea
0: in this episode we're joined by Susan Lara multi-awarded writer of fiction and a dear mentor to many writers particularly in workshops such as the LaSalle University IAS workshop and the Siliman National Writers Workshop
2: thank you for joining us today how are you susan i fine thank you for having me so, first of all, could you describe for us the image
1: that you received when you were asked to write for Agam? It's, it's the image of a young fisherman, maybe um, in his late 20s or early 30s. And um, his back is towards the camera. Uh, he's wearing his, the usual uh, salakot hat that fishermen uh, wear. Um, his back is turned against the sea, so he's facing inland. Um, and the first thing that struck me about him was his, the expression on his face. It's, it's obvious that he had some hardships, but he doesn't look resigned. He doesn't look bitter. He doesn't look um, desperate. He's ready. He looks like he's looking forward to something. Yeah. And I like the way he cradled his fishing net like a baby. And that's another thing that struck me. Right.
2: And when you received this picture, did you know anything? Were you told
1: anything about no. this person? No, I think that was one of the one of the rules that we are not supposed to ask what it is, who who he is, or even what place he is from. So but so it it we really liked it the way the way it happened because we were free to imagine anything about about the image.
2: And how was the rest of the Agam process for you? You mentioned rules, for example. So one was no information was given on the image. No
1: information, um, no cliches. Like we're not supposed to say climate change, even if it's about climate change. We're not supposed to say um, any other jargon like uh, sustainability. Uh, We were not supposed to say vulnerable um, crisis, I think, or mainstream Words like that—that that, um, we always encounter when we read things about the environment—and
2: how did you find that process? How did you experience
1: I like it. it? I like it because really, I'm—I'm I'm at that point. I was sick and tired of jargon. I, I you know, I—I I handle uh, business writing workshops, okay. so it—it is it, one of the things that I want to erase from the vocabulary of all the participants <laughs> in my workshops. No jargon, <laughs> please. I and mean, no clichés, please. So it was wonderful for me. So what brought you to write Enough? What made you tell this story? I've had, I, first of all, I like the process of ekphrasis, okay? And uh, so when, when I... Ekphrasis is? Ekphrasis is um, a, literary, a literary response to a work of art. It could be a song, it could be a painting, it could be a photograph
0: uh,
1: or any any other artistic um, work. So, yeah, that was Ekphrasis. What we did was that. And um, I, I like the fact that I could write flash fiction because it was the closest that I could get to writing poetry. And then Enough because my feeling was that it's no longer enough. To be patient. Hmm. There, there is a limit to patience. There is a limit to pagtitiis.
2: Like putting
1: yeah. up with yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. Or even, would you say, suffering? Suffering and always adjusting. Uh, when something happens, you adjust. You do something else, you know. and uh, And then there comes a point where you cannot do anything anymore. And you have to do something drastic, like the young man. So enough of what's going on. Yes, enough waiting. Yeah, exactly. And why did you
2: choose this perspective of the young man who has had enough?
1: Because he has a future, and he can. He has time to do something uh, about his future, about his life.
2: It's interesting that in Merlinda Bobby's story in the Agam book, Ten Fingers, the narrator is a young woman who is also leaving Mm -hmm. home and her parents to study. This time she's going abroad. What is it about such a person that makes for good storytelling? Well, climate change storytelling Mm -hmm. in this case, but storytelling in general.
1: I think it's the awareness and the belief that we are all in this together. I mean, you go to another place, and and you become aware that we are not separate, that the people in that place are not separate from the people that you come from. That, yeah, we are all in this together. We are all in the same boat. So going away from home yes. gives
2: you that perspective. Yes. And you personally, what scares you or worries you about the current climate crisis?
1: That it's worse than I thought and that we have very little time to do something about it, to make things right. And also, what is even more scary is that many people are not aware of it or or in denial or complacent. The leader of the free world (laughs) does not believe in it. So, yeah, it's scary. Um, um, Just thinking of how much we have to do to make people not only believe in it but worry about it. It, it's overwhelming. So
2: what do you think poets and writers can do then to reach people more effectively? So we know from what we've seen in campaigns for climate justice and even climate, just climate awareness that they get stuck in scientific and political mm, yes, jargon yeah. and then people can't really relate. Yeah. So how can poets and writers reach people more effectively?
1: Well, one thing about literary works is being, shall I say, obsessed um, or, or, or obsessed with details and not or specifics yes. and not uh, not in abstractions, which should make it uh, make the reality um, be accessible, be more accessible to people. So yes, we, we we write about climate change, or we we write about climate crisis. And in fact, we have we have changed the language, even you know. I mean, we don't cha- we don't use climate change anymore. We say climate crisis or climate emergency, you know, yeah. uh, because change sounds so passive, and that um, it's that little girl that um, the Swedish. Greta um, Thunberg. That as she said, you know, I don't want you to hope I want you to panic <laughs> and, and I think we're at that point already and we can help we can help with the language that we use um with the use of details, with the use of specific characters that people that the readers can relate to um it's a slow process um you know because writing is a slow process and reading is also a slow process but um I hope we can we have time. Um, in the ten years that we have, is it ten or twelve years? Um, I'm not sure actually, <laughs> and that's one of the things I I block. Yeah, out. because you 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 know you think of your children, you think of tiban, you think yes. of their children, and yeah. it's. But you mentioned hope, and and
2: despite what Greta Thunberg says, it's hope that's going to keep yeah. us going. Yes. Um, and thinking clearly, rather than panic. Yeah.
1: So, for yourself, what gives you hope? Then, it's the fact that people uh, people are waking up. Um, well, this this young people are waking old people up, and um, and I read only only this week uh, a few days ago that the people in Australia and in the U.S. are making climate. Crisis, one of the one of the priorities in choosing the candidates that they vote for. So that's, I think that's a change. That's a that's a radical change already. And the, the fact that people are awake are awakening.
2: Yeah, and we need more to wake yeah. up. And as yeah. you said, writers yeah. have a role to play
1: yeah. in that awakening.
2: Not yeah. And well, to... in the
1: workshops. Oh, yeah. In the workshops, um, we have more. We have um, because of the support of I, I, ICSC, ICSC. They um, have more young writers writing about the environment.
2: And, and how is the new generation of young writers that you've met how are they addressing the climate crisis?
1: Some of them, well, um, they need more sense of urgency. Um, in, in ES, for example, uh, one of the stories that we took up uh, said something about um, focused on a developer, uh, who encroached upon a village, a fishing village to develop or to build a resort so uh, which is something we see yeah something night. we see already happening yeah and yet the the solution of the, the main character is to get away to to leave the place and yeah. not come back. So um, I think there are things that um, our young writers have to, absorb first that you cannot just go away that that is not really the solution um you know it's it's running away it's avoiding the problem see uh, mm-hmm. that they have to look at the problem more deeply um some poems are well about nature but they're still the romantic type the um, saying how beautiful nature is right and that's it right <laughs> yeah um you know, beautifully written. Um, it sounds well, melodious, and all that. But that's it. It it's it stops at being romantic.
2: Going back to the short story you mentioned, what's the danger of writing a story in which the main character
1: runs away or leaves the problem behind? Because there are members, there are there are members of the community that will have to deal with a, with a, with a problem. And um it was felt that they, they they have to be helped too. So it's
2: almost like there's a bit of an
1: ethical yeah. decision yes. there, even as a fiction yeah. writer.
2: And what would the impact of an ending like that be? Which one? On a reader. The actual, someone
1: leaving, yeah. Yeah. So the reader will think, Oh, okay, I mean, you know, I just I just have to leave and everything will be alright okay. So it becomes so nothing, an, an option. It becomes an option, and uh, what? Nothing will be done for the for the rest of the village. Uh, what happens to them?
2: I'm also curious. You know, what do you feel like happens to the character in your in your poem? I mean, you know, I don't know if you can say what, <laughs> what, what, what he might, might might be going. But because he, your yeah, character it, also leaves, yes. but
1: he yeah, but he's, he's coming definitely back. coming back. I think back. he will come back. I really had no doubt about it when I was writing it. And you know, I like it that it's the first story after Hope. Yeah, it's in the section of the book called Pag-asa or Hope. It's the first story in that section. So I really like that. In fact, an an interesting
2: backstory about the book was those sections really only emerged when all the pieces ah, yes. came in. Yeah. So there was no yeah. plan or preconception of having the sections, the plea and yeah. the hope. Um, but when the pieces came, they all sort of fall
1: into place. Fell
2: into yeah. place, and these these cate- yeah. well, not really categories, but these headings emerged really nicely.
1: Yeah. I really like the way, and I like the way it has, it has, it has had a life of its own. And we thought it would end at the launching. <laughs> and now it's, oh my gosh, it's, it has another life. And it will have a, an international edition. Wow. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you built a foundation yeah. for something bigger than maybe you imagined. Yeah.
2: And um, as a writer or an artist, What do you do in your daily life or in your work to face the reality
1: of of climate change, to to keep going? I do workshops. Um, Yeah, In my my workshops, I always introduce uh, the concept of climate crisis. And if possible, introduce reading materials that have to do with the environment. I have to educate myself. and we all do. One thing that <laughs> that slows my process is that well, I'm right now. I'm listening. I have uh, I I um, downloaded this book, um, The Uninhabitable Earth, by David Wells, and I'm so slow because I have to stop <laughs> when I get depressed, mm. and <laughs> I have to take a deep breath <laughs> and do something else. So it, it's a very slow process, um, despite. The sense of urgency that I'm aware I should have um the education process is slow.
2: It's really a lot to take in, yeah. and it it can be
1: overwhelming, yeah, yeah. Um, especially yeah the the fact that you know uh the things that we are having now, the all the typhoons, the extreme heat it's 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 because of things that we failed to do uh three decades ago, so. What? How much time do we have? I was gonna ask, do you like wine?
2: I do! And chocolate! <laughs> yes. Because one of the things that's threatened, or some of the things that are threatened, yeah, like coffee! Yeah! Coffee! How do you feel about yeah. that? Can you imagine a without <laughs> coffee? I think we would all be really grumpy, horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being with us today, Thank Susan, you. and sharing your insights and your <laughs> perspective. you. Thank you
0: for having me. To listen to the full reading of Susan Lara's short story, Enough, visit the Agam website or check out the reading list of Agam the Climate Podcast on Spotify. Thanks for listening to Agam the Climate Podcast, a podcast about climate change without jargon. Continue the conversation with us next episode. We are a part of the Agam Agenda out of the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities based in the Philippines. You can hear past episodes and engage online with us on Facebook, Twitter, and agam.ph. That's A-G-A-M dot P-H. Special thanks to Ground Bravo Studios, Far Eastern University, And you, our listeners, for your support.